Got your Bible now, Mark chapter number 15 this morning. And if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, as we sit here this morning, we're actually just one week away from the celebration of the resurrection of our Savior from the grave. And I really hope that you'll be much in prayer for all the activities of next weekend as we gather together and celebrate uh, resurrection. But in these Sunday mornings leading up to that, if you recall, I have been preaching a series of messages that I've entitled, Considering Calvary. We have been in these Sunday mornings leading up to Easter, spending time around the foot of the cross. We have been lingering, as it were, around Calvary. We've been listening and watching as the fateful events, as the events of that fateful day unfold. And as we move through all these messages about Calvary, we can't help but notice the people who step into and out of the scene and the story of Calvary. We've met a lot of people along the way. We've talked a little bit about old Judas who sold our Savior into the hands of the Roman officials for a paltry 30 pieces of silver. You know, Judas stands as a memorial that it is entirely possible to fake a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I wonder who may sit among us this morning who is in a way like Judas. You have been on uh, at the side of Jesus, but you've never gotten on the side of Jesus. You've been connected with Jesus, but you've never been connected to Jesus. You know, old Judas certainly had a prominent part in putting to death the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Then we've ran across people like old Pilate, the politician, who tried his best not to make a decision about the Lord Jesus. But the one great truth that we learned from the pickle of Pontius Pilate is the lesson that you cannot fail to make a decision about Jesus. When you try not to make a decision about him, the decision has already been made. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, Preacher, I've never decided whether to accept Jesus as my Savior. Put her there, buddy. You've already decided. Because if you haven't received him, you've already rejected him. In the words of our Savior, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. You cannot remain neutral about Jesus. Somebody said, I haven't done that yet, but I intend to someday. Friend, good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I trust this morning will be the morning that you put aside all of that and you come and receive Jesus as your Savior this morning. Then we've met people like old Herod, another politician from Rome. He was the man, if you remember, that Jesus would not even speak to. Sad indeed is the person when Jesus no longer speaks to them. Oh, Herod had, uh, Jesus had been brought before Herod, and Herod had hoped to see Jesus do some miracle. He was desirous to see Jesus for a long time. He hoped Jesus would pull a rabbit out of the hat, or maybe heal a leper, or raise somebody from the dead. He was interested in the miracles of Jesus, but he wasn't interested in the mercy of Jesus. He wanted to ask Jesus questions like, did Noah have dinosaurs on the ark? Or is God so big uh, that he could make a rock so big that not even God could move? All those questions that have no relevance whatsoever. And the Lord Jesus, when he was before Pilate, refused to even speak to him. You know, Pilate, oh, Herod had sinned away his day of grace. Oh, Herod had cut the head off of John, the Baptist preacher. And when he did that, he crossed the line. And the Lord Jesus refused to even speak to him. I want to say again, sad indeed is the person who can come to church and never hear the voice of the sweet Holy Spirit of God or the Lord Jesus speak 
speaking to them about the needs of their lives. We've met old Herod. We've met Pilate. We've met the thieves that were crucified with Jesus there that day. One of those thieves died in sin. One of those thieves died to sin. And then the man on the middle of the cross, he died for sin. We've met the soldiers that administered the beating of the Lord Jesus and then crucified him and then cold and callous sat down at the foot of the cross as the life of the very Son of God drained from him. They sat down at the foot of the cross and gambled for the clothes that he wore. We've met the religious rulers who cried for the death of Jesus. Jesus had confronted them and made them to look like the shams that they really were. And because of that, they steamed and they brewed with hatred for the Son of God, the man from Galilee. But there's one man that I want us to consider this morning who stepped into and out of the story of Calvary. In fact, this one man is mentioned in all four gospel accounts of the story of Calvary. His name is Barabbas. And I want to talk a little bit about his story this morning and what happened to him at Calvary. Now let's read this morning the Gospel of Mark chapter 15. Look, if you will, at verse number 6. The Bible said, Now at that feast, that feast that we're talking about is the feast of the Passover, the feast that celebrated and commemorated the exodus of Israel from Egyptian bondage. You know, that took place centuries and centuries prior to our text, thousands, millennials before our text, and yet many years later, they're still celebrating the fact of the feast of the Passover. And the Bible said in verse number six, at the feast, he released unto them one prisoner whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, <clears throat> who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them saying, will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the, the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, what will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. This man Barabbas is drawn into the story of Calvary because of a custom of the feast of Passover. His name is Barabbas. As I said a moment ago, he's mentioned by all four of the gospel writers. And at the custom, at the feast of the Passover, there was a custom that a prisoner would be pardoned. He would be released from his incarceration. This would be something to akin to our presidential pardon. You know, 
know every president that sits as the president of the United States, as he ends his term in office, he enacts his presidential power to grant presidential pardons. And certain prisoners are released from jail sentences and released back into society once again. Well, at the Feast of the Passover, there was something akin to that. Every Feast of the Passover, a prisoner that had been incarcerated, incarcerated would be released. This is where Barabbas enters the story of Calvary. And what I want to do this morning, if I may, is just piece together from the four Gospels the story of Barabbas and how Calvary affected his life. You know, I pray Calvary will affect our lives this morning. I pray that we won't remain unmoved by it all, but I pray the Spirit of God will impress upon our heart what really happened at Calvary that day and what can happen to you because of what happened at Calvary. I want to talk a little bit about Barabbas this morning under three different headings. First of all, I'd like to, number one, talk about Barabbas, the guilty sinner. Barabbas, the guilty sinner. Now, I got to confess to you, we really don't know a whole lot about the life of Barabbas, at least early on in his life. For instance, we don't know where he lived. We don't know where he may have went to school. We don't know what kind of a child he was. We don't even know what kind of a teenager he was. About all that we know about Barabbas prior to our text this morning is what we learn about from his name. Now, you do understand in Bible, ta in Bible times, people just didn't slap a name on somebody. Bible names meant something. You know, in our day, we'll just pick out a good name maybe we like and say, okay, that's what we're going to name our boy or that's what we're going to name our daughter. But back in Bible days, it was not so. People were given specific names because of the story of their life. And that's what it was with this man by the name of Barabbas. What does his name mean? Well, we know that the name Barabbas is made up of two words. It's made up the word bar, and then it's made up of the word rabbis. And that tells us a little bit about the upbringing of Barabbas. The name bar means son, and the name rabbis means of the father. And when we put those two words together, we find out that Barabbas was the son of rabbis. Some people translate it to mean this. He was the dearly beloved son of his father. Now, if that be true, and it probably is, that maybe tells us a little bit, gives us an indication of what kind of a, a relationship that Barabbas had with his father, Rabbas. You know, it must have been a glad day in the household of Rabbas when this boy was born. Oh, I can see him with storks in their, in their yard. I can see the excitement and the joy that the birth of this boy has brought into the home of Rabbas. And old Rabbas took one look at that boy, and I mean instantaneously fell in love with him. And he said, Mama, I think what we're going to name this boy is Bar Rabbas because he is, the, he is the delight of my heart. He is the one that I'm so proud to call my son. And by the way, John Phillips adds a little bit more insight into this because he said the name Rabbas was actually a common name for the religious leaders, the religious rulers of that particular day. In fact, he seemed to indicate that Rabbas was probably no doubt a priest in the local synagogue. So now we, we kind of piece it together. We understand this. Boy, he had a great relationship with his dad. And his dad being a priest in the local synagogue was no doubt probably has brought this boy upright. He's taught him to love the Lord. He's taught him the scriptures. He's taught him to live by the commandments of God. He's taught him to be a good neighbor. But yet we learn from this story that something has run amok in the life of Barabbas. His life 
life that was so full of promise and so full of potential had run off the rails. And the reason I say that, Barabbas, is, he, he, he's, he, he's now become something that he was never brought up to be is because when we piece together the four Gospels, we kind of get a picture of who Barabbas really was. In fact, let me tell you this. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, in verse number 16, we read that Barabbas was a notable prisoner. What that means is, boy, he was well known to be a thug. He was well known to be a criminal. No doubt his face and name was on wanted posters all over Judea. He was a constant on the TV program Israel's Most Wanted. I'll tell you what, he was on live PD in his day before they canceled it because people started hating the police officers. I'm telling you, he was a notable prisoner. He was a famous, a notorious prisoner. He was probably like the Charles Manson of his day. I mean, when people thought about him, they automatically thought of a criminal. But then we read in our text, not only was he a notable prisoner, but look at verse 7 of Matthew of Mark 15, and it said this, that he was bound with them that had made insurrection. Now, we know that. Boy, we've been accompanied. Uh, we've been a confronted with that word recently because of what happened back in January when those people stormed the Capitol building. Boy, the one word that we heard about all that was an insurrection against the Capitol. And we heard that word a whole lot. Those people stormed the Capitol. By the way, my heart was grieved by that. I didn't take any pleasure in that whatsoever. But I'll tell you this, if Barabbas was alive that day, he'd have been among that crowd that was storming the Capitol building that day. I mean, he was what we would call an air day a terrorist. Maybe he was a homegrown terrorist or whatever. But I'll tell you what Barabbas was. He was a terrorist. He was against the Roman Empire. When our New Testament opens up, Israel is under the dominion or wearing the yoke of Rome. And you talk about a man who hated the dominion of Rome over the nation of Israel. Barabbas was. And he worked tirelessly and countlessly, uh, countless hours trying to overthrow the empire of Rome. So we know this. We know he was a notable prisoner we notice he was a terrorist because the Bible said he made insurrection. We also know, according to verse number 7, that evidently he was a leader of a gang because the Bible said in verse 7 he was bound with them that had made insurrection. I don't know what happened to his life, but boy, he gathered around him a bunch of thieves. He gathered around him a bunch of criminals, and no doubt he was the notorious leader of this band of outlaws who terrorized people back in the days of the Lord. Jesus. Also we find in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 and in verse 19 that he had been arrested and cast into prison. We find over in the Gospel of John chapter number 19 uh, uh, chapter 18 that Barabbas in the last sentence was a robber. Now let's piece all this together. So what we've got here is a, not a notorious criminal. A man who would cut your throat for five dollars. A man who had made insurrection trying to overthrow the Roman government. We read in chapter 15 of the Gospel of Mark, verse 7, that he also was a murderer. He had no doubt killed a Roman official or Roman soldiers in an insurrection attempt to overthrow the dominion of Rome. Piece all that together. I'll tell you what we got. We got a boy that's bad to the bone, friend. We got a boy that no sane man would want his daughter to marry up with. We got a boy right here that no sane parent would want their child to associate with such a man like this. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about 
quote unquote a preacher's kid we're talking about a boy that's been brought up to do that which is right we're talking about a boy that was taught to love the Lord and love the word of God and obey the precepts of God's word what in the world happened to him oh friend we see it happening in the lives of so many in our day we see many kids that are brought up in a godly home with a godly mama and a godly daddy who are taught to love the Lord Jesus we see kids that are brought up in homes that are taught to honor the Bible and taught to love the house of God and yet something happens to those kids it's like something on the inside of them just snaps somebody throws a switch and they cast aside all that and they turn away from all that and they begin to associate with people that they have no business associating with and the first thing you know their lives have run off the rails and they don't even resemble the people that their parents has brought them up to be boy right now I have pictures of, of people like that in my mind people that I uh, grew up with, people that I went to church with that had cast aside all of that and turned their lives over to the devil. And oh, you talk about pitiful. You talk about, friend, their life disintegrating right before their very eyes. You talk about people, ladies and gentlemen, who everything around them has fallen apart. You talk about people who made bad choices, who got around the wrong crowd that influenced their life, and their lives are totally destroyed and messed up just like Barabbas life was oh I wonder who I'm speaking to here in this building today you were brought up in church you were taught those songs Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so you sang those songs the B-I-B-L-E yes that's the book for me I stand alone on the Word of God the B-I-B-L-E you were taught those things as you grew up you were brought up right but somewhere in your life maybe you got around the wrong crowd you begin to make wrong choices in your life and you sit in a place today you never dreamed you would sit in as I said a moment ago everything has fallen apart and disintegrated in your life but good news there's a God in heaven that loves you and wants to save you this morning aren't you glad we got a God who can pick up the broken pieces of a shattered life and by the super glue of his grace put it back together and make it better than it's ever been Boy, the testimonies of hundreds of people in this room today could stand up and say, my life was heading nowhere fast, but then I met the Savior, and he turned my life around. What a wonderful Savior Jesus is. Barabbas, Barabbas, the guilty sinner. Oh, he sits there now on death row, a guilty sinner. Number two, as we piece his story together, we not only learn of Barabbas, the guilty sinner, but next we learn about Barabbas, the great salvation. The great salvation. Oh, something dramatic happened in the life of Barabbas. Now get to mind, get the picture in your mind. There he sits in prison. He's on death row. Just, just tomorrow, just tomorrow his life is going to be over. He's going to be executed for crimes that he's committed. He's going to be brought to justice. The hand of justice and law is going to fall in his life. He's going to be crucified on a cross on top of old Skull Hill. And there he sits the night before his execution. Maybe he's already had his last meal. You know, it's interesting to read about some of these people that are put to death, what they eat for their last meal. Many of them will order out, take out. They'll eat boxes of ice cream, jars of 
of pickles or whatever. But maybe, maybe Oberabbas has just had his last meal. Maybe his family, if he had one, has been invited in for their last visit. Maybe his mama come in and with tears coursing down her cheeks said, I'm so glad your daddy's not alive to see the person that you've become. Barabbas, where did we fail you, Barabbas? I feel like such a failure. Where did we let you down, Barabbas? With tears coursing down her cheeks. I probably, she probably said, I'm so glad your daddy's not here to see what's going to happen to you tomorrow. She's crying. Barabbas is crying. His mind is filled with the thoughts of younger days and the innocence that he once lived in. But now here he sits on death row. Tomorrow it's over. He cannot sleep that night. All he can think about is the pain and the agony and the torture that he will endure tomorrow while being executed publicly, shamefully, on an old rugged cross. How I many he thinks to himself, how in the world did I reach this point in my life? How did I turn out to be this way? Oh, I wish I could go back and undo some things. If I could just turn back the hands of time and relive some things, I would start all over again. And that night he spends a sleepless night in that jail. And then as the sun begins to dawn the next morning, Barabbas knows this is the day. In just a moment, the soldiers come with swords clanging by their sides, uh, hanging on their sides toward his cell. He thinks to himself, this is it. It's over. His heart is beating rapidly. His breath, his, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, breathing is, is, is very rapid. And these soldiers enter the cell and grab him roughly by the arms and pull him out of the cell. But to his surprise, instead of heading to the courtyard to be beaten and then crucified, instead he's taken in the direction of the palace. It isn't long until he enters the corridors into the very palace and the quarters of King Pilate. The next thing he knows, he's brought into the presence of Pilate. And then he hears somebody mention the name of Jesus. Could it be the one that he's heard so much about? Could it be the miracle worker from Nazareth? Could it be the one that has given sight to the blind? Could it be the one that has cleansed the leopard and caused the dead to live? Could it be the one that has silenced the storm? Could this be the one who claimed to be the Son of God? Oh, Barabbas knew Jesus. He'd heard others talk about Jesus. And in just a moment, Jesus is brought in to the presence of Pilate. But he looks nothing like Barabbas thought he would look. He's been beaten to a pulp. His eyes are swollen shut. There are gaping holes in the sides of his face where those soldiers have ripped the beard out of the face of the Son of God. I mean, he's bleeding profusely. He's weakened. He's uh, dehydrated. He can barely stand. Barabbas can't believe his eyes. Could this be the one who is called the Son of God? In just a moment, Pilate ushers them out on a little balcony. And down below are hundreds of people, mobs, multitudes of people. Barabbas is still puzzled a little bit by all that's going on. But then he hears the words from Pilate. Ye have a custom that during this feast that I release a prisoner unto you. I have brought two prisoners out to be chosen by you to be released. There is Barabbas, 
the notable prisoner. Barabbas, the insurrectionist. Barabbas, the murderer. Barabbas, the thief. Barabbas, the cutthroat. Barabbas, the head of this notorious gang that has terrorized Judea. I bring before you Barabbas. And then I bring before you the one who claims to be the Son of God. You have a custom at this feast that one of these be released unto you. Whom will ye that I release unto you? And the, to Barabbas' surprise, the multitudes begin to shout, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Barabbas can't believe his ears. Not after all he's done. I mean all the crime and the, the wickedness and the sin and the rebellion that he's been involved in. He's put up against the one who claims to be the son of God, who is sinless, who has never done anything wrong. Surely I have a chance, but the crowd chance, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Pilate can't even believe his ears. In fact, he asked twice in this text, twice in this text, wait a minute. What do you want me to do then with Jesus? And they all shout, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate looks over at Barabbas and says, Barabbas, you are free to go. In an amazing turn of events, a man condemned to die, a man who has done deeds worthy of death, is instantaneously set at liberty. He is now free to go. Oh, can you just imagine how Barabbas must have felt that day? I mean, I imagine my knees being weak. I imagine, friend, about almost ready to pass out, to faint. I imagine, man, my blood pressure is probably 300 over 212. I mean, man, I am tore all to pieces. And in a moment, I'm free to go. Is it a dream? I'm guilty, and yet I'm not guilty. I'm, I'm bound, but I'm free. I'm going to die, and now I get to live. Oh, what a great salvation. Barabbas experienced. But I want to close this story with not only the guilty sinner and the great salvation, but I want to talk, number three, about Barabbas, the gospel story. Because you know, in reality, what Barabbas is a picture of, he's a picture of every condemned sinner that sits in this room today. He's a picture of you, and he is a picture of me. He is the one who deserved to die, and yet he was the one who was set free. The guilty one was set free, and the innocent one was put to death. Or could I borrow a phrase from old Peter, the gospel writer, when old Peter said this, the just suffered for the unjust. Can I tell you, what we have in, in Barabbas is an amazing picture of what's happened to everybody in this room who was saved this morning. Can I not tell you this morning on the authority of the Word of God that Jesus died in our place? That should have been my cross. That beating, that lashing should have been my beating, my lashing. That punishment was my punishment. I was the guilty one. I was the one who deserved to die. I was the one who deserved to be executed. I was the one who deserved the wrath. And yet Jesus took my place on the cross of Calvary 
so God can look at me and say, you're free to go. Is that not amazing? A picture of the gospel story. In an amazing turn of events, Jesus is given the sentence that ought to have been given to Barabbas. Jesus suffers the punishment that was meant for Barabbas. Jesus is put to death on the cross that was built for Barabbas. Oh, I want to tell you, what a picture of the gospel that Christ died for our sins. He was buried for our sins, but he rose again the third day to provide a glorious salvation and to look at you and me and say, you're worthy of death. You ought to be dead. You ought to die. You ought to go to hell. But my son took your place. You're free to go. The gospel story. Somebody says, preacher, what happened, old Barabbas? Well, the truth will be told. We don't really know what happened to him. All we know is that day Pilate released him and let him go. Really, there are two stories, two traditions. If you read behind the story that uh, most people think one or the other happened to uh, old Barabbas, the first thing that somebody said happened to old Barabbas was it made no difference to him whatsoever. He was released that day, went right back to his gang, in our terminology, went right back to his posse got right back involved in that same old crime, that same old sin, that same old rebellion and wickedness that he had always done. I mean, it meant absolutely nothing to him that somebody died in his place. You know, it is sad, is it not, that people will come to these services just like this. And can I tell you something? For nine Sunday mornings, I have stood in this pulpit and I have preached my heart out to you about a place called Calvary. I have told you that somebody loved you so much and loved me so much that he willingly, voluntarily died on that cross. Didn't have to, but he did that just to demonstrate the love that God has for you and for me. And how many people over these past nine weeks have got right up out of their seat, walked right out these doors and went right back to their gang, went right back to their posse, right back to their sin, right back to their rebellion, right back to their wickedness this as, as if nothing has ever even happened. It didn't affect them at all. Sad indeed, friend, is the person who can come and hear about Calvary and be so cold and so callous to get up, turn it all away, and walk out these doors and remain unmoved about how much God loved you and loved me. Some people think it didn't do a thing for Barabbas. He went right back to his sins. Then there are others who say that that was a life-changing event for old Barabbas. There are others who say that Barabbas that day went out into the crowd and kind of got lost in the throngs of people in the uproar of the city that day. But Barabbas, realizing what that one had done for him, followed him to the cross, watching him as he bore that cross, looking at him, as he walked up that hill under the weight of that cross, watching him as they raised him up on top of old Skull Hill, watching him and listening to what he said, watching the miracles, the darkening of the sun, the renting of the rocks, the opening of the graves. Somebody come screaming, the veil has been rent. The veil is gone in the temple. And he heard all of that. And that day Barabbas said... He is a son of God. 
and his life was forever changed because the man on the middle cross took his place. You know, I pray that'll happen in this service today. I pray somebody sitting right here in this service today will understand how much Jesus loves you so much that he died in your place, suffered our punishment, bore our cross, died our death so that you and me could be saved. Can I tell you this as, as I kind of wrap this up about Calvary, but can I tell you what really Calvary says to you and me? Can I tell you really what the whole message of Calvary is? It's this one statement. Calvary says to you and me, God says, I would rather die than for you to go to hell. That's the message of Calvary. God said, I'll, I'd rather die than for you to go to hell. And Jesus on the cross said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He died so we don't have to go to hell. Amen. Now I got one question and we're done. It's 11.04 and we're ready to go. And my question is up on the screens and I actually took this from a verse of scripture and it says this. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Have we sat for nine Sunday mornings and heard about Calvary and it means nothing to us? Have we sat here in the coldness of this day and been unmoved by it all? Have we sat here and heard it so much that our response is, I'll be glad when this is over. Have we sat here and when we leave and get in the car, we just check off another service, check off another Sunday, and it means nothing to us that God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die for us. And whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have ever... Is it nothing to us? Does it mean, does it mean nothing that we would get up, walk out the same way we walked in, and go right back to our old way of life? Oh, my friend, Calvary ought to mean something to us. It ought to warm the cold heart. Listen, it ought to bring sinners to repentance. Don't be like those soldiers, cold, calculated. Don't be like some say happened to Barabbas. Just forgot about it all. Went about his business. Friend, I want to tell you, God loves you so much. He died for you to keep you out of hell. Will you not today believe on him and accept him as your Savior? Barabbas, the gospel story. Amen and amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray.